Respectfully. 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 A Melanated Therapist. Welcome in and welcome home, family. I'm Rade. And I'm Demetric, and this is Respectfully, a Melanated Therapist podcast. Just a quick disclaimer, this is not therapy. We are just two people who are doing a podcast who happen to be therapists. The information in our podcast is for psychoeducation and entertainment purposes only. If you are in need of therapeutic resources, please feel free to contact us and we'll point you in the right direction. All right, y'all. So, fam, today... We have a special guest, y'all. I am so excited. Me too. We got my girl, Brittany, in the building. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, love. How did we just make the same sound? I know. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, y'all. Right. No, seriously. We have, y'all heard us talk about Brittany a good amount on our show. Brittany H. Brittany H, not Brittany G. And (laughs) (laughs) and with that being said, you guys, our topic for this week or this episode, sorry, is white allies and our white ally. Hello. So, Brittany, (laughs) can you share with us, you know, about who you are, what you do, social media handles, all the whole nine? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Honored to be the first guest. Honored to be the uh, what did we decide on? Woke white friend or or woke yep. white female friend or woke white something? friend girl honorary <laughs> member. I fe- you know all of e honorary. all of the above. Yes, <laughs> appreciated. So my name is Brittany Hunley. Hello and hello. I'm a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Florida. I specialize in sexual trauma. I also work with grief and other traumas, anxiety, life coaching, mindfulness coaching, marketing coaching, all sorts of fun stuff. I'm the owner of Balanced Healing Group, which is a holistic wellness uh, group. And for the purposes of our conversation today, I think it's helpful for folks to know that I grew up in South America for the first part of my life as a Caucasian woman. So I was othered down there and then moved to the States and did not really jive with white Americans and was no, othered you didn't. again. <laughs> so still I don't. Have, uh, right. That'll come up a little later when we talk, I'm sure. But it it's kind of a unique uh, life experience that I think equipped me to be a white ally a little better than some. Um, my social media handles are all on my website. Um, my website is balancedhealinggroup.com. My Instagram handle, I can just tell you that it's easy. Balanced Healing Group. But again, on my website, they're all my uh, socials. I don't have Thank too many because I'm almost 40. And <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we are honored to have you here, our friend. Yes. Um, before we dive in, I actually want you to share a story with our listeners um, <laughs> because I think it's the cutest story and I think they would enjoy it. So can you tell us about um, the time that you had a note sent home regarding no, I your love this story? <laughs> Oh my God. Me too. (laughs) Okay. I have been put on blast. (laughs) Girl, we wrong real here. Out of love. All out of love. (laughs) No, 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 no. Oh my goodness. So I moved to the States when I was seven. And I am the only, at that time, I was the only brunette in my family. I was the only brown eyed kid in my family. And so, 
I kind of thought I was Colombian. <laughs> um, I thought that I was um, brown. I guess I hadn't like crossed paths with a mirror and seen my like major Anglo-Saxon uh, face. <laughs> Anyways, my family moved from South America to Indiana, which is one of the most racist wow. places in America. It actually had a huge KKK capital there in Indianapolis. So it was quite the jump for me to be around all brown people in South America and then around all white people. So when I was nine, I was in third grade. I uh, was in a class and we were talking about I got nervous because uh, we were talking about illegal immigrants and everyone was talking about um, Latinos and not in a nice way. And I got very upset and emotional in class. And <laughs> teacher held me back in recess and was like, you know, what's wrong? And I was like, well, I'm afraid that maybe I'm an illegal immigrant. I'm not sure. And she was like, you're American, you're white. I was like, no, what? And so I got sent home with a note, safety pin to my jacket that said, please tell Brittany she's Caucasian. (laughs) 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 And I came home and I was so mad because I was like, this lady was, is wrong. And my mom was like, not only are you Caucasian, you are are also American, which I didn't know that I was American. She was like you. And I really understand it now. She was like, you were born in Kentucky. (laughs) Oh God. American. I love that story. Oh my god! So, no, so yeah. do I. Because worst, girl, worst day of my life. <laughs> oh man. Okay, yeah. so before we get kick into the questions to our beloved guest, um, let's start out by talking about what is an ally. So an ally is someone who advocates for groups or individuals who do not come from the same place of privilege as the ally. So real short story, um, you know, up until the Black Lives Matter movement, um, you know, I just, you know, thought there were nice white people. You know, all of them weren't the same. I knew all of that. But when it came, when that movement started, it it redefined what I saw as an ally. And for me, okay, you're coming to the protest, you know, you're speaking about, you know, you're having these conversations with me, but what's really impactful for me and the big question for me is what do you do when I'm not around? So when you're sitting in a group of people and, you know, whether it's your family members or whether it's your friends who look like you and one of them makes a joke or makes a negative remark about another race or ethnicity, what do you do? And to me, in those moments, how you step up, how you present, that's what makes you an ally, not just going to a protest or not just buying a car decal or a sign in the front yard that says Black Lives Matter. But that's just... 100%. 100%. I literally... Um, that was what I was preaching over the last, let me say two years since I moved to Colorado Mm -hmm. and everything was going on. And, uh, we talked about this in the last episode, but the intern that came to work and with her racist remarks, um, I was like, you need to go and speak to this person who was one of our white allies that was in the building. I was like, you need to go and talk to her and not me. And you also need to uh, go and read a book or something like White Fragility or some shit because this ain't going to work. Um, because it's fragile. It's true. It's just kind of like... <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> 
<laughs> because yeah, no, uh-uh, not gonna work. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you one hundred percent, Demetric. It is definitely about what you say and what you do behind the scenes. But I'm not present. How do mm-hmm. you express your intent to be an ally behind closed doors? Right. Absolutely. It's about being able to understand what someone else's experience may be like. So offering some empathy and being able to advocate for that. Absolutely. And I'll say one more thing and I'll get out the way. But honestly, I have more respect for you to say you're not an ally than for you to straddle the fence. 100%. Because don't act like, you know, you're an ally in my face and then behind my back you laughing at the jokes because it wasn't funny. Right. Right. So first question. I think this episode gonna have me a little heated, honey. Okay. Listen, I was about Rade, I was about to say the same thing. I was like, oh, I felt a little a little tension in myself just then. Like I had got a little up, slightly upset for a second. Uh-uh. Guys, me too. Me too. Right, Brittany over there. Y'all can't see her, but Brittany over here fanning herself like, oh no, child. Right, right. Okay. All right, Brittany. So first question for you. Um what is it like to be woke and to be a BIPOC ally? Well, and we kind of talked about this, like there's two versions of that. And on one side of it, like to be an ally to my BIPOC loved ones is an honor and is somewhat trepidatious, right? Like to be an ally to my friends of color, my partner, my, I mean, family at this point, you know, is an honor truly. And it's trepidatious because I'm an imperfect human. So sometimes I don't say the most helpful thing or I don't know what to say as we are in all areas of life. You know, someone's grieving Mm -hmm. the loss of someone. You don't know exactly what to say. Black men are being murdered by police officers. I probably don't have the perfect words to say to Mm -hmm. my friends of color who, who in a way I'm suspecting feel like a family member has been taken. Mm-hmm. And in that place, it's also an honor because I understand how hurt, or I, as best as I can understand, <laughs> mm-hmm. I am aware that my friends of color have been injured by white people their entire lives. Mm-hmm. So to be someone that they feel safe with is completely and totally an honor. Now, in that other way of being an ally where you have to stand up in white rooms for the brown voice that's not present, mm-hmm. I find it exhausting mm-hmm. and infuriating. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet wholly necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember like notably in our master's program that we all Ooh, met in. Honey. <laughs> this experience is about to throw me through, but I'm Some, okay, let's do one it. One person's like, name come to mind, but I'm not gonna say their name, but I feel like if they ever come across this podcast, they will know who she is. Mm. <sighs> yes. But you know, we I like you know, you talk about like white it is it is the job of white people to cure racism. Like, let me be clear on that. Like, it's not going to go anywhere unless we make people uncomfortable mm-hmm. with being able to make jokes in the workplace or anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, make statements, speak ignorantly. Uh, what I affectionately have now termed assigning homework to communities that you have no understanding of at all of like, mm-hmm. well, you know, uh, black people's problems would really be cured if they would just blah, 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 blah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you... <laughs> 
Right. Like, can we shut up? Are you black? How you know? (laughs) Are you black? Right. Uh, If you don't get your ass, okay. (laughs) I actually identify as um, (laughs) uh, going through melanin withdrawal. Um, (laughs) I have a a melanin lack. I have a, uh, if there was a vitamin I could take, I would take it, but I don't have it. I can't. It's a deficiency, in my opinion. Anyway, <laughs> but notably, like making, there's a part of me that really enjoys making white people uncomfortable. Let me just be honest about that. But it's also exhausting um, in, in other areas, especially in settings where I had expectations <laughs> mm-hmm. that were dashed. Like our program had a cultural sensitivity course that was taught by a Caucasian person. And on the first day of class, it was a high, it was a hybrid class where you could go in person or go online. I went in person the first class. I did not return after this. <laughs> first day of class, what's your ethnicity? What is something that's important about your culture? And what is an experience you've had in life that connected you to your culture or ethnicity? Okay. So it gets to a woman of color in the class. And she shares that she's African-American, that her, um, like a family tradition, I don't recall. And then that notably, they last summer as if on a family trip had traced their ancestry to a plantation in another state and had visited it as a family to see where their ancestors had been. Mm -hmm. Now, there was, I mean, the heaviness in the room when this person shared was kind of how it is right now. And the professor said, wow, that must have been really interesting. And it wasn't a negative thing. Mm -hmm. It it wasn't disparaging or necessarily invalidating, but it was so not enough of a response for this moment. Uh, I did not know anyone in the room, (laughs) did not know anyone in the room I didn't know if I had another white ally in the room. I assumed that the woman that was sharing was offended because I was offended and I'm Mm -hmm. like not, you know, in the story. So I interjected and said, I don't know if I would call that interesting. And the professor was like, oh, well, what what do you think would be a better word? Maybe interesting isn't the right word. And I was like, well, I'm just going to take a guess. And I turned to the woman that was sharing and said, devastating, demoralizing terrifying, horrifying, Mm -hmm. uh, enraging. Am I close? She's like, you're a lot closer than interesting. (laughs) Yeah, I would guess so. You know, like to kind of boil it down to just, oh, I bet that was interesting. Okay, so who's sharing next? (laughs) Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. You know, know. and it is invalidating. Yeah, and I think the biggest part of that is recognizing that that young that African-American woman chose to be vulnerable and chose Mm -hmm. to share something so personal and so vulnerable in a room where she probably wasn't really represented at all. If, you know, if that maybe there was another one or two, you know, other minorities in that class, you know, Black people in that class and to be shut down and like, or they said invalidated, you know, I'm glad that you were there, Brittany, to at least 
show some type of support. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. ultimately that experience could have impacted that woman in her ability to be vulnerable and share her story with anyone else that doesn't look like her. Yeah. Right. My Absolutely. number one thing is, I say this all the time. I'm like, white people, teach your white friends. Like, that's how it's supposed to go. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I do appreciate, you know, you stepping up and saying something, Brittany. The other side of this, too, is that you were mentioning that it is exhausting for you to be in these white spaces mm-hmm. and then have to be the advocate. Imagine your exhaustion, right? And then being that's the a glimpse, right? Oh, and then yeah. now imagine our exhaustion, being exhaustion, oh, yeah. you know being in that room or, you know, things like that. And so, mm-hmm. and also it sounds, it sounds different, you know, coming from someone that is not a uh, black mm-hmm. than it coming from a black person. It comes across mm-hmm. different as well, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I so appreciate that, that my exhaustion with this is such a small, finite, little glimpse of what the entire like people of color experiences in to a level of I had a day once where I had to speak up with a client in a counseling setting um on on some I was about to sugarcoat it but on some racist shit and I reached out to first my partner who is Jamaican and I, I was like, Hey, I'm upset about something, like I need some support. And then I was like, wait, never mind. I'll talk to you about it later. And he was like, Are you sure? I was like, Yeah. And then I reached out to my white friend and I said, Hey, I'm upset about something. I need to kind of like unwind. And later when I talked to him, he was like, So what happened there? And I was like, Well, I had Caucasian fatigue. Like I was tired of white people. And I decided that I did not want you to get the first complaint of just, I feel tired about white people. I feel exhausted by them being the way they are. I decided to do that first pass with a white Mm -hmm. person and then just kind of inform you about it later. And he, he was like, okay, I can understand that. I was Mm -hmm. like, I, cause it's me going Oh my gosh, I've experienced one millionth of the exhaustion that you've experienced your whole life. Right, right. And it just, you know, I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do it here. Like, you're not going to be the person that gets the first round of my frustration on this topic. I'm going to go complain about white people to white people. And I'll let you know about it. (laughs) I appreciate that. So, I'm so glad you brought that up, Rade, about the exhaustion part, because how many times have we been in spaces where someone brings up race on any level and then the whole room um, turns and looks at you? Like you are the ex, like you the expert mm-hmm. on on black problems. Like, first of all, listen. So, yes, we have a shared history. And to me, although it may not be common, common sense prejudice and racism discrimination all of that it it just doesn't matter like either that's or racism that's who racist that's who you are or that's not who you are it doesn't matter whether that person's black hispanic whatever the case may be but just know my caucasian friends um one black person that you meet is not the spokesperson spokesperson for all black people do we have shared history? Yes, but our experiences are different. How we perceive our blackness and how in our community is per it's not universal. It's not one size fits all. It's basically all I'm trying to say. I know that's always been so weird for me. It's like 
there is a lack of uh, humanness to that, mm-hmm. where it's like their experiences could be so individualized, but ours can't. It just right. Uh-uh. It, Get mm-hmm. your last one. Thank oh, you. Oh yeah. Oh man. <laughs> oh, Thank man. you, Meg. That is right. That is like me working in sexual trauma and men being like, but not all men. It's like. Shut up. <laughs> right. 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 Like, shut right. your mouth. Calm down. Also, if you're saying that, you're halfway on my shit list anyway. Like, you're already halfway there. Like, <laughs> not all lives matter. You're already done. You're finished. Yeah, no. you're, you've you've yeah. revealed yourself. Good intel for me, but you're you're done. Oh, that kills me. Oh, that one. I think that's my that's my um Achilles heel is that all lives matter. Listen. All lives cannot matter until Black lives matter. Mm-hmm. One more time for the people in the back. All lives can't matter until Black lives matter. Mm-hmm. Until our Asian brothers and sisters' lives matter. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know? Okay. So our next question, mm-hmm. um, well, the question mm-hmm. that I want to mm-hmm. ask Rade, um, just branching off of, you know, what we asked Brittany, what is it like for you to have a white ally, Rade? Um, I think in the past, it used to actually be a struggle for me because I didn't know what to, I didn't know what to do with it. Only because I always had the fear of, okay, you're my ally now, but just kind of like we were talking about earlier, it's like, well, what is it like when you are in an all white space and I'm not there? Right. Not being aware of what an ally really looked like, but I always had the fear that they were never a true ally. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now I think what it is like for me now is I appreciate it because it is exhausting. It's, it's hard to, not have someone in your corner that can also speak to the masses about, you know, their own race. Okay. Like, and being able to have someone that can do that and also recognizes the boundaries between being black or white, putting it frankly, is important, especially if we're having conversations like these at any point too. um, I think the one thing that makes me nervous about having a white ally, even currently, is when they are like my true, true friend. So let's say, for instance, Brittany, right? An example would be if down the line, we're all having a conversation and Brittany says something that feels like an unintentional microaggression. Now I have to say something. But the other side of this is, is that I I recognize that this is a, a process of learning. And I know she'll be open to it. She'll be understanding all of those things, right? That's what also being an ally is about. It's about receiving the information and taking that in and then doing your homework. But on the other side of this, it is, I think it makes me a little bit nervous because I'm like, oh shit, is this the moment where they're not really an ally or are they still an ally and they just need to learn a little bit more? So I feel like for me, it treads water. Okay. So what about you? hmm. Kind of the same. It's not much I would add to that, um, but I think it's the un- the support for me. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the individuals that I have in my life or have come across that are allies, I feel like they show up and show support beyond me. 
Yeah. You know, like I I follow you on Instagram or Facebook and I see this pro-black post or I see this pro-minority post and I'm like, okay, there go my friend. That's my friend. You know right, what I mean? Right. So mm-hmm. in addition to what you said, Rade, it's that piece for me. It's the, the support for me and not yeah. having to question, quote unquote, someone's loyalty. Right, to me. Right. But like you said, being able to have, like, you know, with Brittany to have these type of conversations and not be uncomfortable having them and actually talking to someone who knows that they actually won't ever be able to truly understand, but they understand the, like that word, right? They use the humanness in that situation. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I'm, you know, with, with my exhaustion with white people is my awareness that I have a different life. I've had a different life experience, different worldview, Mm -hmm. and have always been on the outside of the culture I was in, which Mm -hmm. kind of uniquely set me up to be more connected to the othered people in whatever nation I've been in. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's something that I have to hold on to sometimes with my Caucasian fatigue of like, why don't you already know this? Like, why do you not already look at other people from other walks of life and other cultures and go, I wonder what that's like? I wonder what unique difficulties are there. I wonder what it's like for them when they're out in this place. Right. Mm -hmm. When my mind just does that, you know, Mm. based on my life experience. Right. Mm -hmm. And others don't. So Brittany, if you could tell white people one thing, what would it be? Just one thing? (laughs) (laughs) I mean. (laughs) Oh, my friend. (laughs) Oh, my white brothers and sisters. (laughs) Um, I have such a dark joke bubbling up inside me, but uh, I'm going to just put it on the ground next to me. And walk away. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. I need to ask the, the inner guidance here. The one thing I would tell white people, you have white privilege, period. That is not, a, it's not a question. It's not a debate. All of us have white privilege. Every white person has white privilege, no matter how poor you grew up, no matter what your family experience was like or anything else, you have white privilege, okay? Just swallow that pill and deal with it. There are ways in which you can use your white privilege to change the hearts and minds of other white people. Mm-hmm. There, are, there is a safety in my ability to stand up to a cop that some of my friends of color do not have, are not afforded. Mm -hmm. There are scenarios where in a room like the classroom that I spoke up in, I think there was one other person of color, but I, like you guys said, you know, you people bring up race and look at the people of color in the room and I'm, it's not their problem. (laughs) It's our problem. It's the white people's problem. So knowing when to speak up and knowing, unfortunately, that my voice to a white person who has issues with race is Mm going to be heard in a way that someone else's may not. Know when to lay down your white privilege. And that's absolutely every other time outside of confronting race. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Right. Like if you're being an advocate, like I will use that white privilege up. I will use it up. You know, I've been pulled over with. Uh, like as a teenager, I was pulled over with a friend of mine in the car who was Haitian and I was pulled over in Tennessee because the cop wanted to make sure I was safe. Mm 
driving my own car with a friend in it. And because I, because I am a white woman, I was able to completely rebuke this cop in a, and was, and walked away safe, which is messed up, mm-hmm. which is a disparity, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I was able to do it and keep my friend safe and, you know, Listen. slap this cop in the face with my words a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Brittany, for one, thanks for, for saying that, because I think a major thing for me is about utilizing your white privilege to your advantage when it comes to being an ally. That's the whole point of the privilege at this point is what Mm -hmm. I feel. And, Mm -hmm. and lifting up other minorities in order to kind of create some sort of closeness to equality. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know how close we are getting to that actually being a thing, but Yeah. So thank you for that, Bernie. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, thank you, of course, my friend for that, that good tidbit that you provided to our Caucasian brothers and sisters. And, you know, ultimately, (laughs) you know, for our non-POC listeners, um, I can't even describe the feeling that a Black person, especially a Black man gets when the police gets behind them. It's beyond, it's beyond anxiety. It's beyond, it's a fear like never experienced because at this point, our mind is going a thousand miles per hour because now, okay, Lord, please don't let it be one of these situations that I see on social media. Mm-hmm. Please don't let it be one of these situations where I may not make it home. Right. Then, okay, how can I reach for my wallet, my registration fast enough that it doesn't look like I'm reaching for something else before they get to the car. Yeah. Just marinate on that. (laughs) No, yeah, seriously. Because there's a gravity to this that I think just, we see it and I know people, you know, all over the world are seeing it. But I don't think they understand the gravity to the situation at all. Driving black, mm-hmm. being pulled over for being black. Yep. And it's really, really scary. And mm-hmm. the nerves that come, it it's real. So it's hard to explain. Yeah. Like I know you get it. Yeah. It's hard to explain. Like mm-hmm. I can't even put a word to it. And I mean, you know, we have it. We're educated. So, you know, we can try to get as close to it as possible with the word, but there's really no words to truly explain that that type of Mm-mm. deep fear of yeah. maybe possibly not making it home or right. ultimately getting fined for something that you probably that officer just saw six Caucasian people do but didn't stop. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Even in my story of speaking up to the cop when I had my Haitian friend in the car, I stopped going in on the cop because I glanced at my friend and saw the his fingertips were white, gripping mm-hmm. his legs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I stopped. Yeah. Going in on the cop because he was terrified. And I remember having to like pull away and pull. Okay, friend. Take your time. <laughs> it's shitty. Trust me, we get it. Yeah. You guys and can't this see is this. High I, I, emotion. Yeah. 
Yeah. This is high emotion from the outside. Mm-hmm. Like I had to pull over. He threw up. Yeah. Yeah. My partner and I have a rule that if either of us are pulled over, we call the other person. Yeah. It's literally a rule. And I think the rule was never like, for, like we never verbalized it, but mm-hmm. we, it's, we know it. It's, it's it just man. is what it is. And if we are close enough, we go to the scene wherever they are. Yeah. Y'all mm-hmm. know how many times I done pulled up behind a cop car and they're like, oh, we don't like you standing behind us or we don't like being blocked in. Okay. I'm just waiting to watch. Right. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Yep. Yeah. So Ooh. moving on to our therapist hats off <laughs> question. Demetric, do you yes. have the first question? Yeah. So our first question from our listeners is how do you stop generalizing? I'm sorry, how do I stop generalizing my distrust in white people? Mm. Actually, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say something. Because I wanted to branch, I wanted to go back to what we were just talking about to let our our listeners know. Um basically, but no, it addresses this question as well. But um ultimately, we and I'm and I feel like at this moment I can use my black card and I can speak for black people and say that we know that there are good white people out there. We know that there are good police officers out there. We're not attacking or going after them. We're going after the ones that are discriminating and that are racist. That's two different things. I am going to use my white card if I'm able to use my white card (laughs) and say that the system (laughs) is policing. Damn, Brittany, the, what, girl? Tell us. Sorry. <laughs> the uh, the system of policing started as slave catching. So to me, it's an unredeemable system that needs to be changed and shifted in order to gain our respect. That being said, I have a friend that's a cop. I, you know, until we're able to change the system that's in place, this is the system that's in place. So, yes, there are good cops, but the system of policing is a racist system. Absolutely. Absolutely. In which the system, our our systemic, you know, views and experiences are going to remain intact for Mm -hmm. a long while. This is not really being moved. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But back Did to the you question, have a... okay. <laughs> I feel like um, my answer would be to look beyond the color of the per- of that white person's skin and get to know them and who they are. Because ultimately, if you're stepping into a situation, so I feel like to me, and this is just my experience, and you know, Rade can talk about hers. But I feel like ultimately, I'm walking into a situation with my eyes on everybody in the room because I don't know you. You know, Mm -hmm. so I look at it as the opportunity to get to know people for who they are and see how and see what type of conversations you can have with that person, their history, you know, their perceptions on on different topics, especially that of race. And I feel like from there, make your best judgment on if that person is, you know, someone who you could see as an ally or a friend or if ultimately that person turned out to be exactly what you thought they were. And that was prejudice or, or racist. Yeah, I actually agree. I think, you know, opening the door for opportunity to build connection is going to be important. Just mm-hmm. like Demetric, 
I walk into a room with distance from everybody. Um, that's just who I am in general. Um, however, I feel that this is also a thing where you have to learn to trust yourself mm-hmm. enough to discern who is who and what they represent, what their motives are, things like that. All it takes for me is one comment, honey. Okay. Listen. After I'm talking, <laughs> if I'm talking <laughs> to you for a few minutes and depending on what you decide you want to talk to me about, things like that, I- I've already figured it out. I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know, so. <laughs> right. So with that being said, it's, I think it is really going to be about looking back towards self. And also, if you're noticing this generalized distrust in all white people, I want you to kind of look at your personal trauma history, Mm -hmm. um, as well as that generational trauma to understand where the root of that comes from. Because I'm sure that this causes a lot of tribulation for any relationships you have with a white person in general at this point. Absolutely. Keeping that in mind is going to be really important and talk it out. Try to, I would really, really encourage you to talk to someone that you, that you trust about the situations that are coming up that's putting you in a place to distrust white people, especially when it comes to what is it that you're feeling when you get around them, right? What is it that you start to think when you get around them? Is it all fear? Um, you know, or is it worry that of their motives, you know, just looking at those different aspects, just some, you know, self inventory and try again later if you need to. But ultimately it's about trusting yourself enough to discern which, which people you can trust and you can't. You know, Rade, I, you made a very good point. Um, and I'm glad you actually brought up like the generational trauma because ultimately I think it's important to realize what is your voice? Is this actually how you feel or is this something that you picked up a long time ago? And what I can mm-hmm. say is I actually have an experience. My um, my grandfather, or my, my maternal grandfather, he experienced a lot of racism and, um, you know, growing up. And he, to the point to where he did not like white people at all, like he would use the C word. When he when he referred to Caucasian people, um, the insurance man who was a white man could not come in our house. My grandmother had to literally go outside to give him the money for the policy because he could not step foot in the house. So, you know, I noticed these things growing up and I noticed the differences in, you know, how, you know, we would go certain places and how we wouldn't go certain places and the way that my grandmother would drive around predominantly white spaces went back in our hometown in Gainesville. And, you know, ultimately I decided, okay, I see this is how it is, but what do I think? How do I feel about this? So great mm-hmm. points right there. Yeah. I, if I'm being honest with you too, you know, I'm not even sure if, Always removing the generational things is even attainable. I think about just my experience and Mm -hmm. there's no way I can look back on different things that have happened to my family members or just Black people in general, just the history of it and be okay with that. So I this is a hard question, I think. And it is. Because it doesn't go it, away. No, it it doesn't. Yeah. Biggest thing is, is, is trusting yourself enough. And also to know that if you do run across a 
white person that's racist that you thought was not, then it's also up to you to trust yourself enough to say, oh, no, I'm not doing this. Right. Yeah. But remember, safety first. So advocate for yourself, but please, please, please use caution when necessary and keep yourself safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) For any of our white listeners, this would be like if you're Jewish and just have a discomfort with individuals from Germany and how that's going to take you some time to separate from Mm -hmm. your generational trauma from the German person that's in front of you. If you're a sexual trauma survivor, this is the race, gender, country of origin of your abuser that for a while, everyone who looks like them is going to trigger you and upset you. It's going to take some time for you to work through that. And this is you know, those are two typically in like isolated events versus the black experience in America was and is ongoing hundreds yeah. of years. Right on, Fran. All righty. So next question is, how can I address my black friends that don't like when I bring my white friends around? Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-mm. Um. Okay. I would say one, have a one-on-one conversation with them and actually learn what's coming up for them. Um, and two, maybe they're seeing something from your white friend that you're not seeing. Um, and maybe they could share that. On the mm. other side of this, if there's nothing and they are just really uncomfortable and just kind of going back to the first question of generalizing the distrust with white people even though that that white friend may actually be an ally, maybe it's just time for you to hang out with them separately. Uh, your friends don't all have to hang out together. Um, that that doesn't have to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think we're not for everybody. And so I think just maybe it goes beyond them just being white. It could also just be going to, that's just not their cup of tea. Um, but ultimately, I think really having that conversation with them and being able to discuss, you know, what is actually coming up for them. Because I think right now, this question kind of feels more like, well, I want my white friends around, but you're not considering what what's happening for your black friends probably in that moment. And also looking at what spaces are you taking them to? Let's be real. Like there are some spaces that are just for us because of our history. And so with that being said, when white per- white people do enter those spaces, there can be some awkwardness. Let's be real mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Because we see the appropriation that happens when they come right. into the space is the problem. That's what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. Very good points, Rade. I There's nothing to add to that. So fam, I'm going to go ahead and move on to our earth lesson <laughs> for this week. <laughs> and Our earth lesson is try to find goodness in people while discerning those who are not good for you. We are not for everybody. Respectfully, a melanated therapist. All right, fam. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at RespectfullyMT and send your questions and topic requests to RespectfullyMT at gmail.com. Thank you so, so much for joining us today, my friend, our friend, Brittany. Thank you. Would you like to share your- It was my honor. Oh, sorry. Would you like and to privilege. share your social media <laughs> handles with our listeners again? 
Yeah, absolutely. Check out my website, balancedhealinggroup.com. All my socials are on there. You can go to my Instagram, Balanced Healing Group. Awesome. Well, until next time, fam. Peace, y'all. Respectfully. 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 A melanated therapist. therapist.